You know, when I started researching and just sort of reading around like these ideas, I ran into this sort of extended version of the quote, which goes kind of like, a jack of all tastes is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. And, and, it, and it completely flips. Now, you can sort of look into like, oh, which quote was said when? I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is, there's a perspective that, oh, someone who actually does master a few things is, or even gets, you know, significantly close to that, is going to be far more powerful than someone who's just mastering that one thing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Future of Work Project. My name is Derek Franco, and it is my great pleasure to introduce you to this program dedicated to bringing together smart and thoughtful leaders and innovators experimenting with new and unique ways of working. From remote work and culture to research into the peak performance of human beings, we'll learn alongside these experts pushing the boundaries today. Today's guest is Salman Ansari. Salman is a tech founder who has worn many hats over the years. From working as an engineer and building a company that was later acquired by Oracle, to writing, teaching, and even DJing, Salman has a deep focus on embracing his inner polymath and following his passions. During our discussion, Salman and I dive deeper into his recent article, The Polymath Playbook, and look at why society today pushes specialization versus mastering multiple domains. We'll also take a look at how pursuing multiple passions and projects build up mental models that help you adapt and think differently to give you a distinct advantage in many areas of your life. And finally, we look at how writing can be used as a tool for discovering new ideas, building relationships, and helping make sense of all the noise in today's crazy world. And with that said, it's my great pleasure to welcome Salman Ansari. Well, Salman, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's great to, to meet you and, and look forward to this conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, originally we got connected because I actually ran into an article you wrote on polymaths. And I mean, I, I loved it because not only did it make some great arguments for polymaths, but also just a lot of context on, you know, why society values specializations more than, you know, really jack of all trades. Um, but, you know, before we kind of dive into the article, you know, I'd love to kind of start by getting more information on, you know, your background and some of your past projects, because, I mean, you've done a lot of a lot of things uh, over the past couple of years. For sure. I mean, I think uh, I guess the, the, the quicker summary, I would say, is like most of my career I've spent in sort of the startup world. Um, you know, the first thing I did right out of college was join a couple of friends who were, who were building a startup. And, you know, I came in as as employee number one and, and was there kind of sort of helping to, to shepherd the company through through the journey over over a period of five years. So, so that was kind of a really formative experience. Like I started as an engineer, ended up managing the whole sort of San Francisco Bay Area um, engineering office. And, you know, I learned probably uh, the most in terms of like what, what happens when you're kind of like dealing with hard times, what happens when you're trying to actually build something. And so I think uh, it's important to, the only reason I mentioned that is because I think as much as it's it's awesome and fun to explore lots of different areas, you do kind of have to have sort of at least one, ideally two, like sort of formative um, foundational experiences where you are just 
sort of working really hard at developing, you know, your skill set and developing sort of pedigree and, and all those types of things. And, um, you know, engineering kind of was that for me. We, we ended up getting acquired into, into Oracle and I moved to New York. And that's actually a period when I got to explore a few more sort of um, different areas. So one of them, which was which really fun, was I actually flew to South Africa and helped start a coding boot camp. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, uh, I did that for several months. And basically, it was just like, uh, you know, an opportunity that came came out of nowhere. And I got to go and help build a school, essentially, and sort of teach students all day and then hang out with them at night. And um, I mean, it was it was probably the, you know, I, I often say it's the most rewarding work I did just because I was able to see students kind of have their their sort of whole perspective on life sort of transform. Yeah. Um, so teaching has always been like a, a second calling, I feel like for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was living in New York. So I also, um, you know, had had, I guess, more opportunity just living there to explore a lot of different areas. Like I, I always like to think of New York, um, you know, as a place where you can just sort of be any identity you want to be. Yeah. You can sort of like I was DJing, I was doing improv. I was doing oh, that's like, amazing. Yeah. You know, you can just sort of go anywhere. And I think what's really beautiful about it is like, when you're doing it, like say you're in an, in an improv or, or wherever it is, the people around you, they're there, you know, doing the same thing. They don't really care like, oh, are, you know, what company do you work for? And, and that kind of stuff. like, like, doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that was really awesome. Uh, since then, uh, I kind of moved back and actually did another startup myself uh, with it with a co-founder. Uh, it was a healthcare startup called Rested. We were helping people who have a condition called sleep apnea. Um, and yeah, that was a really hard problem. Um, and it was, you know, we worked on it for a couple of years and, and, and built a pretty good solution. And um, yeah, after that, I took a bunch of time off, which, you know, I started thinking it would just be like a month of travel or something. And it ended up being like six months of sort of questioning life and, and the <laughs> meaning and purpose. And, um, you know, it was, I could definitely talk about that more. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I worked at Facebook for a while after that. And, and now I kind of split my time. Um, between a part-time job working at an artificial intelligence startup and also just doing a lot of writing and creative projects and stuff like that. The, I, I talk about this a little bit in, in one of my one of my posts, but like I think sometimes it's really scary to go sort of 100% into like your own independent thing. I'm just yeah. gonna like make content and sell it and then, you know, like that's really hard to do. Um, and so sometimes it can be helpful to kind of, you know, see, see how you like it first, um, if you're able to find that set up and, and I've been pretty lucky. And the last thing I'll mention is I do a lot of, uh, illustration and animation and stuff. Now it's kind of this, this sort of passion that I used to just sort of love observing and, and now I've kind of actually started getting into it, which has been, which has been really fun. So yeah, I'm kind of exploring like how these different things come together. How, how can you take the fact that I've done. Um, you know, so much engineering or, uh, with, with sort of leadership, with like illustration and sort of design stuff and mix them together in sort of a new, unique way. And uh, that's kind of what I'm exploring with, uh, with my newsletter. And uh, uh, yeah, it's been fun so far. No, that's amazing. And, you know, just like you said, you know, you had, you've had the opportunity to do many different things, but you've been passionate about all of them. And, you know, that's what that's what's made them all fun. You know, it, it, right. there hasn't been a piece where even during the hard times, it's been crazy because you've loved every piece of it. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super important because a lot of times, um, you know, we tend to sort of have a lot of different motivations for why we want to work on stuff. And, um, you know, for example, like a lot of my motivation initially when I was getting into startups was was pretty traditional. I was like, you know, 
there's startups and you, you, you know, you can build something really cool. And if it goes big, like, you know, you're set for life. Like, of course, I, you know, I had those motivations and, and even after that, you know, it's like, yes, of course you want to work on all the things that you like, but you know, it's not, it's, I think this is an interesting thing to talk about is like people usually try to simplify things, you know, it's basically like follow your dreams, yep. uh, you know, work on your passions. And these are like really nice quips, but like they don't include sort of the nuance of why that's so hard to do. Um, and, you know, it's not even just like, oh, if you work on your passions, like it's hard to make money from them. Yeah, that's true. But also like we're human. So like our passions are fleeting. Like, like you basically are like, I'm really excited about this. And then, you know, maybe you're not that excited about it. And it's yep. like, what do you do then? <laughs> you know, how do you deal with that? And, and a lot of people, you know, uh, it's been interesting since I, since I wrote this essay, like a lot of people reach out and they're like, yeah, you know, I have this really um, bad quality where I drop stuff and, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I don't have the, you know, willingness to, yep. to keep with it. And, and they, they see that as like, uh, and they're kind of almost attacking themselves. Right. And I think this is what happens is like, we kind of get this feedback from society that if you don't really stick with something for, you know, ages and ages, then, you know, you're a quitter, you quit on it, you know? And I think that's, what's really hard for people to navigate. But, um, you know, I think, it's important to find that balance and that balance is different for each person. Um, I think you kind of have to pursue something sometimes for like a year or two. And then you realize, you know what, this I, I've seen this through and I want to try something else. That's, that's kind of what, um, another thing I really like about sort of this lifestyle is like, sometimes I really do get bored of one facet of yeah. myself and I just kind of slip into the other. And it's really powerful to be able to do that, to be like, you know what, today I'm a writer, like, you know what, tomorrow I'm like an engineer again, or like, you know, okay, now, you know. Well, and they all complement each other too. So that's another, that's another really good point um, that we talk about a little bit. I talk about a little bit in the essay is like, you sort of develop these ways of thinking in each world. So, you know, this is one thing I talk about is like, um, the sort of strangeness that happens when I go into these different groups. So if I go in to a group of software engineers working on, you know, iOS development. I'm going to be the only one who like hasn't been doing it for five, 10 years, you know? And so I'm going to feel out of place there. But then if I go to a group of people who are doing, you know, drawing stuff and I'm going to be somebody, you know, I'm going to be different there because they're like mostly pursuing that full time. Um, and so you get this sort of isolation. Um, and I, you know, that's one of the things that I really heard it resonated with a lot of people is like, they didn't even know that was the thing. They just assumed they weren't doing a good job fitting in. Yep. You know, and I think that's really powerful that, oh, okay, there's a reason why. Uh, and okay, maybe I'm doing it for a reason though, because now I can say, oh, the, the mental models and the approach of thinking that one takes when drawing and when trying to simplify ideas and when trying to express art, uh, you know, those can be applied uh, elsewhere. You know, principles of storytelling when you're doing writing, the principles of, you know, complexity versus simplicity when you're doing engineering, all these types of things. Um, so you get this huge advantage where like you've just, it's like having visited other planets and you're coming back and being like, oh, by the way, the way they do this there is just like this. And it's yep. just, you know, very few people will reach that point um, or think of it in that way because they're, they're kind of sticking in that lane where mm -hmm. you're basically competing with a bunch of people who are just speeding ahead in the same lane. And it's actually pretty hard to differentiate yourself that way. Um, like, I think it's one of the biggest challenges is like, if you're just like, uh, the example I always give is if you're a software engineer and you're trying to be like 
the best software engineer, the most technically capable, the best architecturally, the, you know, the person who writes the most tab, all those types of things. That's really hard to do. It's a very competitive space, but it's also like, if, you, if it's not something that you personally love, this is what you brought up earlier. If it's not something you personally love, you're going to find it so burdensome to push yourself so hard in this thing that you kind of are doing because, yeah, you know, you kind of want to do this, but to push yourself that far in that area, that's difficult. Meanwhile, if you're instead, you're like, you know what I really like is animation. So that's one thing I did. I started pulling in animations into the software I was building and it helped me differentiate the user experience quite a bit. And people were like, wow, this, you know, it ended up being far more effective, but that was my trick. You know, I was kind of like trying to make it much more fun for me, but it's a, it's like a differentiation tool as well. No, I love that. I love that. And there's actually two pieces in there in particular that I really want to unpack. Um, the first being, uh, you know, would you mind if we get a little bit of background um, on the article that you wrote? Uh, you know, the article was called the, the Polymath Playbook um, and was really kind of giving the arguments for, you know, just like you said, this, this jack of all trades lifestyle. Um, would you mind if we dive a little more into that? Let's do it. Yeah, I think um, I guess the the first thing that I start with in the article, which is always worth mentioning, is there's this quote that everybody knows: "This jack of all trades is a master of none." Right? Um, and so the connotation there is like, oh well, you know, if you try and do a bunch of different things, you're pretty much going to be sort of worthless. You're pretty much going to be, you know, you're not going to master anything. No one's really going to want to hire you. Like, you know, you might it just sort of <laughs> you don't really not going to fit well into society, right? And it's a very strong statement in that, and it's a very popular phrase. Um, you know, when I started researching and just sort of reading around like these ideas, I ran into this sort of extended version of the quote, which goes kind of like a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Um, oh, wow. And, and, it, and it completely flips. Now, now, you can sort of look into like, oh, which quote was said when? I mean, it doesn't matter. The point is, there's a perspective that, oh, someone who actually does master a few things is or even gets you know, significantly close to that is going to be far more powerful than someone who's just mastering that one thing. So that's an interesting idea. Um, and, you know, it, it sort of begs, like, the question then becomes, like, well, why is this, this simplified quote the one that's popular? Why does everyone only use that quote? And no one has ever heard of it, you know, of the other one. Well, well that has a lot to do with sort of how society has evolved and, and sort of how we got to where we are today. So, you know, at some point, you know, we can talk about sort of historically, as we led up to the industrial era, like, how do we get to that point? But if we start at the industrial era, there was sort of this place where we saw huge growth uh, in industry and we saw huge growth in um, companies being able to build these sort of factory style uh, assembly, um, you, you know, process um, industries, uh, businesses. And as they started to grow, there was increased competition between yeah. them. So they had to find some way to differentiate, had to find some way to either like gain an advantage over each other or uh, kind of move a little faster, you know. Um, and so one of the solutions to that, that, that kind of was the chosen one was basically a division of labor where it's like, Hey, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to basically create this whole line where each person has a very specific role. And if they do that role really well, they'll only get better and better at that role. And somebody else can focus on sort of further down the line. And, and that's where the advantages of specialization started to come in where, uh, you know, a company actually needed you to stay working on that same thing so you could get better and better and better and better and better at it. Um, and theoretically, the, the promise that you were given was, <clears throat> well, you're going to become a specialist, which 
sounds cool. Just the word, you know, if you think about it, there's always sort of emotional connotations with the word. And like specialist doesn't have a negative connotation by any means, right? It has a very positive one. It's like, oh, you're a specialist, right? Yep, exactly. It gives that little more self-worth too. That self-worth. <laughs> like you're like, yes, I want to be a specialist. Um, and and by the way, I will note we can talk about this, but there are a lot of scenarios where specialization is is valuable and useful. Um, but you know, one of the things that ended up happening is I think we ended up sort of normalizing that sort of almost too widely, right? Um, in fact, I would say too widely, and people didn't really understand the exchange that was being made. In, in exchange for the specialization, you basically have to commit yourself to that role long-term. And in some cases, like the, the biggest takeaway for me is that you really don't get to explore your own sort of human natural diversity. Like I actually think that this isn't like, you know, oh, some people like to try different things and others like to do the exact same thing for their entire lives. I think there's a like it's very common and, and almost in, in human nature to want to solve problems in different ways to experiment to explore and, and to have a variety and and so in that's one thing that was lost in that exchange. Yeah. Uh, another thing is in some countries, especially in the United States, um, you are actually giving up quite a bit to the company. You're relying on the company for healthcare. You're relying on the company for 401k. You're relying on the company for all these benefits, and so like our whole infrastructure um, has been centered around you being tied to this job. Um, and it's like, oh, like if you think about it, it's kind of it's nuts. It's kind of like, oh, um, you want like basic protections and, and health, like, like you want to like stay alive. Well, you better be at working at a job the entire time. Um, the minute you leave, like uh, sort of good luck, like, okay, now we have, you know, some kind of healthcare protections, you know, there's, there's that, that Obama kind of brought in, but, but it's still nothing compared to the rest of the world, nothing compared to the rest of the world. And even then it's very expensive or it's low quality. You basically get this false choice of like, either you're going to pay a ton of money yourself out of your own pocket, which no one can afford, or you're going to have to make huge sacrifices in the quality of care. And anyway, you know, basically the message, what's the message being sent? The message being sent is like, just get a job and stick with the job and don't leave. Why are you trying to, you know, futz with this and do all these different things and, and so on? And we've been stuck with it since the industrial age now. It, pretty much. <laughs> exactly. So this template was put out and no one was like, hey, are we sure we want to do it this way? Um, and so I think, you know, that's important because it's context for, oh, you know, when people talk about when people even talk about exploring different pursuits, they only talk about it in the context of a hobby. Oh, that's nice. You have a nice little hobby that you do on the weekend. Obviously, you're not going to make it your job because the first suggestion of that and like people are very like, oh, uh, you know, are you sure? Like, you know, this person's kind of, oh, we better check in. I think this person's talking silly ideas like, you know, making a life out of this this thing that they care about. Like, what a silly <laughs> idea. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it, it really, I guess the way I would say it is it poisons the very soil that could grow ideas around exploring multiple pursuits. Like people aren't, don't even have the permission emotionally and mentally to start thinking like that, right? Let alone actually going and pursuing it. And so then what happens is the only people who actually do it are, you know, they're labeled as like, okay, that person's just like, uh, you know, extreme. They're going and, and they're trying different things and they're, you know, they basically have to take on a huge amount of risk before they're able to, to, to reach that point. Um, so, so what I, one of the things I talk about is like, okay, well, if let's say you actually do figure out a way to explore these different pursuits, like what's in it for you? Like there's obviously a lot of things that are preventing you from doing that. So what's the benefits? 
So the benefit starts to come in when you're talking about things that we mentioned earlier, like, okay, you're going to have different mental models that you're going to be able to apply. Okay, you're going to have a more flexible identity. Okay, you're going to be able to, frankly, differentiate yourself. So this is an important conversation, you know, relative to, to all the conversations you've been having. But, you know, if you think about where we are now, there are two, well, there are many, but, you know, it's 2020. So there's many of these factors that are all coming in at once. But, you know, two of them that come to mind are like, one is like, oh, by the way, you know, automation is a thing. It's happening. Um, it's going to start uh, accelerating the speed at which jobs sort of start to get automated. And I'm not sure if you've been following, but, you know, with, with the announcement of GPD-3 and OpenAI, I mean, there's, it's just, regardless of what you think of it, there's a lot of questions that are going to be raised around, oh, these basic simple things that, you know, people, including myself, like programming even, you know, parts of that are being sort of elevated. And so, um, you know, now you also have, we're, we're in a global pandemic, everyone's working remotely, um, you know, so, so you basically have to make massive adjustments, right? Massive adjustments. And if you are used to sort of the same sort of lane and the same sort of job and the same sort of skills and not really expanding too much beyond that, you're going to find this very, very, very disturbing. You're going to find this very, very difficult. And so I think part of it is just by forcing yourself to try these other things and be bad at them initially. Like you have to be bad at things that you're trying. That's what most people don't try that stuff because um, actually there's a great uh, quote by Ira Glass. She talks about, uh, they talk about uh, taste. Um, you know, basically a lot of people, when they start drawing, they don't like what they see. Um, and so they quit. But the thing is, the only reason they don't like what they, they see is because they have good taste. They actually yeah. <laughs> know what needs to be done, what should be good. They, they have a sense of that. And so if they stuck with it, they would have gotten there. Whereas somebody who doesn't have uh, taste will never be able to get there. It's funny you bring that up too, because it's a lot of things on, it's kind of reinforcing a lot of things that society says already, yeah. which is like, yeah. you know, even in school you know, we're, we're built for passing a test versus learning from failure. Right. And so, you know, there's a lot of pieces that we have been programmed to think that all kind of reinforce this idea. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one thing that comes up when you say that is, uh, I kind of wrote about this, but I was, I've been thinking about this, this idea of uh, anti-fragility. You may have like read about it from, you know, Nassim Taleb and like, you know, he's, he's talking about like systems, but you know, the human body actually is designed this way naturally. Uh, in terms of how it deals with stressors that come in, and it sort of learns how to deal with them and fight them and then resist them the next time. Whether it's antibodies or anything else. Antibodies or anything else. And it's like, oh, well, maybe we should actually apply that to how we live our lives, right? And so what it means is in that approach, you know, building resilience is kind of that first step of like, you, you can actually create stressors for yourself, small ones in controlled ways. And I think like trying new things, and new experiences, challenging yourself, pushing yourself and seeing yourself fall is one of those ways of doing that. You introduce a new stressor, you, you, you do get hurt because you are going to fall because it's the first time you're doing the thing. Um, and then you kind of get back up and you're like, oh, oh okay, I, that wasn't so bad. Uh, you know, I, I want to I keep doing it. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, I, I talk about some of those. I think the, the other thing I would say is like, there is some kind of, um, you know, sort of, malleability that's innate in us like like we're we're kind of told that we need to find a little lane or a box to fit into in order to really thrive and it does sound kind of cliche but i really do feel like we're if you look at everything about our body about our physical body it's it's fluid you know 
it's it's viscous. It has some parts that are solid, some parts that are liquid. Like we're meant to change and evolve. I think there's something about like we lose, you know, all the skin all the time and regenerating cells all the time. So everything about our human biology is meant to be, you know, naturally evolving, changing, moving in different directions. And then somehow we try and restrict everything about our identity, everything about our work, our, what gives us meaning and purpose to very, very rigid uh, rules that kind of has set, been set by society. So um, yeah, part of it is like, like tapping into that natural part of us and like breaking out of it and, and seeing what kind of happens. Yeah. Well, and I love that because, you know, just like you said, you know, it, especially today, the world moves so much faster than it ever has in, in modern history. And, you know, malleability is something that gives you that advantage, you know, being able to not only understand, you know, how to build a website and an app, but also how to potentially, you know, market it using SEO or, you know, actually how to build the systems out. Like that's something that's going to help you today. Um, and, you know, one thing I'd love to kind of touch on as well is, you know, kind of the, you know, when we think back to like the the age of polymaths. So, you know, you think of the 14th to 17th century, you know, you've got, you know, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, society at that time I guess it was very beneficiary, should I say, to be malleable because there weren't structures in play. You know, you had right. to be adaptable in order to succeed. Right. And I think we're finally kind of coming into that same era now because things are moving so fast right. because of the internet and because just like you mentioned, the developments on the AI side and everything else. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I try and think about is Everyone, when they talk about polymaths, a lot of people do think of Da Vinci and they do think of all, all you know, all, all those folks. And in some ways, it makes it, I think, more distant. I think when people sit there like, you know, yeah, of course they behave that way in that, that world. That was a different world. It's nothing like this world. So it's just not that relevant. And that's why, if you notice, like, I don't really talk about them at all. Um, in, in, a, in an essay about polymaths, I don't really talk about the, the most known polymaths because... I just don't know if people, you know, I'd resonating with that experience is that relevant for folks. And, and there's a couple of things, and there's a couple of theories I have why it's very loose thinking on it. But like one of the things is that back then, um, you know, you either were someone who was basically living their life in, in sort of a very, very restricted paid labor form, or if you if you had flexibility and some money, you basically were able to pursue knowledge for leisure. So so this word leisure is, is kind of relevant here where um there's a book, Leisure Races of Culture, which talks about this, where, where essentially, um, you know, there was a point, especially in the in sort of the Greek origin of the word uh, leisure. Um, actually, I, I recently learned this. The Greek origin actually translates more to the word school. So oh, really? Yeah. So like we've kind of turned school into this other thing that that they would actually never understand what we're talking about, like the way that we talk about working almost for the sake of working. And, and it was actually a flip model where like you pursued knowledge um, it, you know, as part of leisure, because yeah. thinking and contemplating was kind of what was considered leisure. Like if you gave someone the right and the privilege and the space to just think about different ideas and, and create different things, they would, they would love that. And then they would maybe go and do some work separately to facilitate that. If you could give them a model, I think everyone would do that. And so I think that's one of the other things is that back then those folks had facilitated that model somehow. And they were able to explore all these different ideas. And it was just kind of like part of their way of life. Like if you go back and be like, hey, 
uh, hey, Leonardo, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about being a polymath. And he'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, just exploring what's I'm, fun. Like, I'm literally <laughs> just like waking up and living my life. And that's pretty much, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not taking some special approach to it, you know? So I think that's what's kind of fascinating is, um, you know, Andrew Taggart, who, who, who writes really interesting stuff in, around the areas of philosophy. One of the things he talks about is this moment that we're in right now. So, you know, if you if you take that tension that I just described, where especially as we think about knowledge and, and knowledge workers and, and how, what greater potential there is. And, you know, another idea that's tied in is like, you know, universal income, which you know, I don't necessarily support or don't support. But all of these kind of come together of like, well, if, if we really had sort of the basics covered, you know, yeah. what, what kind of thinking, what kind of like models will we have? I think what's interesting is it before we even get to that conversation, I think it's important for people to recognize how closely we have tied um, work to our actual purpose. Um, this is something that Tiger talks about a lot. It's like the, even the word, like the economic man, kind of was invented, you know, around this the same era, the same industrial era. Like these 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 ideas kind of came, and essentially it became like, oh, your purpose is to work. Like that is your purpose. And, you know, I think that idea just gained so much traction and people were so caught up into it, like the sort of capitalist sort of competitive world that we live in, that no one has really been questioning that. But now, um, you know, I think this is, is an interesting thing is like now people actually kind of are like, I, I don't know, you sense this probably in the conversations you're having, but like people are sort of taking a minute and being like, you know, is this is this right? Like, yeah. Well, especially with COVID, like it was enough of a disruption where people kind of were able to take that step back. Right. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I, and I think that, you know, it's unclear, like what those, what volume those questions will be raised at, um, you know, how well people will be able to navigate into something else. But I do think that, you know, as much as there's so much you know, horror around what's going on with this, I think there is something interesting of like, well, there is an opportunity for some people to have like five minutes to just think about what's 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 happening in their lives and like, you know, open some of these questions. So I think that's kind of exciting and something to be a little bit um, optimistic about, um, regardless of sort of how it manifests. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. Um, and, you know, one thing I'd actually want to take the conversation back to as well as something you mentioned earlier, which is this idea of, you know, when you're exploring multiple pursuits, a lot of the knowledge that you're gaining kind of eventually merges together. You know, your your way of thinking kind of merges together and, you know, the mental models that you're building allow you to, you know, bring ideas from other domains. And, uh, you know, would you mind if we dive into kind of, you know, these mental models and, you know, just how you've benefited from them in the past? For sure. Yeah. I think um, the, the phrase that kind of comes up is like knowing enough to be dangerous. Um, and, and so it's important there because actually one of the things that comes up is like, well, you know, how much do you need to know each pursuit? How many pursuits should you have? These are all really valid questions. And I think like it's, there's actually different purposes. So in the, in the area you're describing, like actually a really great metaphor for this is like, what's the difference between, you know, a founder who has a strong sense of design versus not, you know, they don't have to have gone to design school. But if they have an, a sense of aesthetics, of usability, of, you know, even an appreciation for emotion in, in art and, and sort of more, more of these sort of liberal arts ideas, the whole manifestation of what they're building is completely different, yeah. right? And so there's, there's parts like that. I think there's, um, you know, one of the things I've learned is the further you go, 
the more opportunities there are for that. So that's where I talk about like, well, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you're just sort of like sort of playing around with something for a weekend and then doing that for like 50 different things. I mean, you can definitely do that if you're trying to discover a thing to then go and spend more time on. But you do need to have, you know, enough time invested into it to be able to see the opportunity for how it's going to translate. Like the way that I like to um, think about it is like, you need to make sure that you've, you've refined at least, you've refined a mental model before you try and go and mix it with others, right? It has to have some kind of cohesion in your mind of like, okay, it's battle tested. Like I've actually tried this in the real world in some, in some actual context. And I think for me, um, one big lesson I had was, so there was a, there was a point in time where, um, <clears throat> you know, I had, I was, I mentioned, I kind of took some extended time off and I was learning lots of different things, studying lots of different things, but I wasn't actually applying them. I wasn't really writing. I wasn't really sharing. And, you know, I haven't really found much, um, connection with those ideas today. I definitely think like application is the key where the minute I've started writing more, sharing more, taking stuff I draw and just putting it out there and then, you know, taking something animated and putting it out there in just sort of an, even versions and things that I think I look at them and I'm like, oh, this is, this is bad. I really don't like this. Um, you know, because we have this perfectionist mindset, but the more I share, the more I learn from it, you know, yep. the actual practicality of, of some of these models. And I think you can, you can apply these to a lot of different areas. Like another fun example I like to give is uh, DJing. Um, so I loved DJing. I mean, I wasn't, this is the other thing is like writing about this sort of whole polymath lifestyle has helped give me sort of a lens on it that I didn't really have before. Uh, I kind of just thought I was just doing stuff and I had a lot of interests and it was kind of distraction. Like I didn't really know that there was some kind of basis potentially behind it. But you know, when I was DJing, I was having a ton of fun. But, you know, I would, one of the things I remember is like, when you come in, I would, I would, I would, sometimes I would watch, like if, if you're a DJ, like one of the things you have to do, like you start out and you just sign up for these like open nights. Right. And you know, one of the things you actually have to do is you have to go and like attend a few of them before you're allowed to show up, which means you're kind of watching the other DJs. And I would kind of watch and be like, all right, who, all right, when this person's DJing, how's the audience reacting? When that person's DJing, how's the audience reacting? And one of the things I noticed was like, Sometimes people would just come in with their plan of their playlist and they would just go straight through it, like not really paying attention to the audience or anything like that. And I'm like, okay. It's just a dead night. <laughs> just a dead night. It's not really working that well. Um, then I realized like, oh, it's my job. I'm going to have some tracks. Obviously, a lot of tracks I want to play, but I'm going to be paying so close attention to how people are vibing with this like and doubling down when I see something and then backing off when I don't. And now I look back on it. I'm like, oh, I was practicing product market fit. You know? exactly. <laughs> like you're doing you know, it real time. You're getting you're that doing feedback. It real time. You're getting <laughs> such amazing feedback. And it's like, oh, okay. There's different pursuits where you get feedback much faster. Um, but maybe, you know, the, it takes different skills like performance and, and comfort. And like, I mean, if you, if you want to practice like public speaking, like, you know, improv is a great way to do it. Or, you know, improv also teaches you things actually, um, there's something funny. So one of the things I learned was, um, well, so, you know, one of the things I did in, in, in a sabbatical is like, I started getting into meditation a lot and, and I've really spent a lot of time thinking about sort of awareness and self-awareness and, and sort of being cognizant of, I'm trying to be present, right? So everyone talks about this, of like being present. And, um, I think like one of the things that really pushes that is like doing things like improv, because one thing you'll notice is if you ever go to an improv show, there's going to be some people who are like, 
like like they, when they respond, it's clear that they had thought about that joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and and obviously, I I had done that too initially because you know you want to be funny. Yeah, they're just waiting for a time to throw it out there. Exactly, and like think about that analogy: waiting for a time to just say something. How many conversations are you in where you know you're just talking to someone and you can tell like before you even dropped the last word in what you're saying, like they've got something coming yeah. right at, right back at you. <laughs> And you're kind of like, you know, and we do this, obviously, this is a challenge for all of us. So I feel like, you know, these skills that we don't always think are that important are end up being really important. Like, how important is it to be able to have an effective conversation with someone like in terms of at work, like, how are you going to be able to convey your ideas? Like, that's one of the things I, I get a lot of feedback on is like, people have these amazing ideas at work. And, you know, they're just not able to communicate them. And it's like, well, you got to practice. Go practice what? Um, well, listening and paying attention to others and listening to feedback. Okay, what are the ways I can practice that? Yeah, you can talk to like a thousand people, but you can also participate in environments and pursuits that sort of put you in that position where you're forced by, by design to pay attention to that feedback and be more of a listener than like, even though it looks like you're performing, you're actually doing more listening than yeah. performing. And you're building skills that you can apply to multiple different domains. Totally, totally. No, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, and, you know, one thing that you touched on a couple of times was, you know, the the writing that you've been doing as yeah. well. And, you know, I'm actually really curious about this because it seems like a lot of people that I've been talking to recently have been saying that they realized they were doing so much better thinking when they started writing about it. Yeah, you know, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on this as well. Like, you know, what, what initially inspired you to start writing more? And I guess, how has that affected your thinking as well? Yes, I have a lot to say on this. <laughs> I, first of all, I 100% agree that writing completely changes how you think. And there's so many facets to this. But um, I have a couple of like threads I've written that I can share offline. But like the high level thing I would say is I had actually done some like sort of you know, long form writing in the past, sort of essay writing in the past, a little bit here and there, but never in a real concise uh, way. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of I kind of realized at one point, like let's say middle of last year, was that I was so busy just working, just going to work, commuting to work, coming home, that I realized like I wasn't really active cognitively. Like like what I mean by that is I was very, you know, obviously I was working hard and coming up with ideas for work, but it, it just stopped there. Like yeah. I never had these thoughts around, oh, you know, hey, this thing is happening in this world. How do I, how do I feel about it? What are my thoughts on that? Or what about me, myself, like blah, blah, blah. And I remember having them at different points, but, but you know, I, I noticed there was just sort of an emptiness there. And one of the things I realized was I needed to have more of my own identity, my own voice. And before I did that, I needed to have some kind of foundation. Like one of the things people always say is like, I would love to write, but I don't know what to write about. So, you know, you, you basically want, have to start building these sort of habits where you're journaling, you're taking notes. Um, and then those sort of provide connections. So I'll mention a couple of things you mentioned, like what was the sort of trigger that that really kicked it off? And there were actually a few triggers, I would say two of them. One of them was, uh, I took this uh, online course called Rite of Passage with David Perel. And you know, it, it, it ostensibly, it's a course about writing, but really, it teaches you about sort of building your online presence, um, creating a regular habit of writing and getting feedback from others and your peers. And so I was kind of launched into this and I ended up finding that, wow, there's so much value in just talking to other people about ideas. And I really took away that lesson and it ended up fueling 
um, the first few essays. And, and from there, I kind of like built up, built up, built up and started writing weekly. I will say there was a massive difference, massive difference between when I was just sort of writing, you know, a newsletter whenever um, versus when I was writing weekly, when I started writing weekly. I think it, it's like a step change that is hard to describe until you actually do it and actually have to force yourself to release something out to an audience like every single week. I think that's like, I highly, highly recommend that if anyone wants to like push themselves a little bit on this, on this effort. Um, the second thing is I've started taking a lot more notes. Um, it's not really something, I mean, it's something I've done in the past, but I started using a tool called Rome, um, Rome Research, uh, which is basically a tool that allows you to, I mean, it's hard to describe quickly, but it allows you to take notes and then make connections between your different ideas over time. And it has a lot of features that facilitate that. And it's been very powerful in terms of allowing me to just sort of come in every day, put in some ideas that I have, and then just sort of notice, oh, there's actually a connection to this. Oh, yep. there's actually a connection to that. And it's really powerful when you start evolving your ideas in this way, so that when you actually do publish something, you're not just saying like, oh, I read about this and it's cool. Like that's obviously valuable, but you want to be like, I read about this. I've been thinking about that. And it connects to that. And you make this connection, this triangle, and or, or you know, whatever shape it might be. Um, and you present it to the world and you kind of say, like, here's my unique lens on these ideas. And, and you know, they kind of connect with people in that way. Like the polymath essay is a good example of this, where like, you know, I have I have thought about specialization, I've thought about sort of like, you know, using mental models of, of different places. But it was only after I took like some notes until I kind of like helped formulate it. And you know, I can say that for some of the others. I will say in terms of the benefits, um, a lot of people think the point of writing is to build an audience and it is, but it also primarily evolves your thinking. And I think that if you look at it, for example, you could just do all this privately. You could just be journaling, you could just be writing notes and without sharing. But it still helps you get that interleaving together by doing it's, that. It still helps you get the interleaving. You know, I will say feedback is absolutely crucial. So, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm sure you've, you've heard of her. Elizabeth Gilbert is like massive inspiration for me, like creatively, like she's just such a huge inspiration. One of the things she talks about is um, the importance of feedback. And I wrote an essay on this called Why Bother, where essentially the premise of it was, okay, I've been writing a ton. You know, I've just been writing, writing, writing. And now I'm kind of wondering like, why am I writing again? You know, like you kind of have, I kind of have one of those moments. And one of the things she talks about is it's, she has this whole framework in mind of like, why it's, it's valuable to learn in public versus just sort of learning privately. And one of the things that happens is as you evolve these ideas privately, like in your little, uh, I like to call it like your little wizard cave, you're kind of <laughs> like, you're kind of like doing all these potions and you're, you know, you're doing a little spell here and there. And then you're like, Oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. And if you don't talk to anyone about it and you don't connect to reality in any way, that literally is a straight path to delusion. Right. And, and, and it's not like a super negative thing to say. It's just saying like, listen, you do need to connect with other humans. That's that's fundamentally why we're here. Yeah. And you have to test the ideas amongst different mindsets. Absolutely. You need that like that stressor, that test. Right. And so the more you can get that early, like the higher quality the thing that comes out, like one of the things that's amazing is like people read an essay and they're like, well, this is a great essay. Did, I guess this person just writes great essays. It's like, no, they don't. I don't. I definitely do not. Like, it's like you, I write like, it's like a jumbled bunch of stuff and you try and get some essence and then you, you talk about it and then someone will be like, oh, I really connect with that piece. Oh, okay. Maybe I should focus on that. Or, or someone else is like, I don't connect with that. I connect with this, right? So 
um, there, there's something about feedback where it's like, it's so valuable. You don't want it to dictate. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want to take it so fully that, um, like the way that I've come to think about this is like really good feedback understands your goal and says, Hey, uh, I think there's a faster way to get there. You create sort of this system for yourself where you're able to think about ideas, process them, get feedback, put them out. And I mean, amazing things happen. Like yeah. you and I are having this conversation. Um, I've been meeting tons and tons of people who just sort of read some writing I wrote and resonate strongly with it. I think it also gives me a lot more energy to engage with others. So for example, I'll see a lot of really intelligent people that talking about different ideas and I'll be like, oh yeah, I have some thoughts on this. So I'll say something quickly and be like, and here's something I wrote about it. Now I would never, not, I'm not going to say never be able to, but I would never bother to sit and explain my nuanced perspective in like a tweet thread every time I'm responding to someone. Like, no, of course not. So you want to just have something you can link to and it completely changes your game. Like now I just yeah. go in and I reply, I'm like, hey, by the way, I agree with this or I disagree with this, here's some thoughts, they engage. And then when you meet somebody, um, like for a lot of times I will have a conversation with folks on Twitter and then I'll, I'll kind of talk to them uh, on video or ideally in person, but you know, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, but, but what I found is the conversation starts for anyone who's listening somewhere higher rather than, than the sort of baseline, like, Oh, Hey, like, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. You're at like, Oh, by the way, you know, let's talk about this specific idea and my thoughts on it versus your thoughts. It's like, that's a completely different conversation. And so now you're going to have this opportunity where like things are just going to start coming to you, opportunities, conversations, people, and on, on all you have to do is kind of like push yourself to get those ideas out there and deal with some frustrations. Like, yeah, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some stuff. That's just, that's just part of it. <laughs> that's, that's human nature, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I love it because it, it, on, it honestly ties back to, you know, kind of what you were saying earlier, which is this idea of, of stressors, you know, helping yeah. to build and, and oh, helping yeah. us grow and, you know, feedback, especially when you're kind of taking that honest feedback is one of the best stressors that we can have. Yeah. I actually underestimated the power of this. So like, as I was writing this, this polymath thing, like I actually struggled a lot because I didn't really like talking about like, Oh, here, look at all these things I've done. Like it just was really difficult for me to write that part. Yeah. And I also knew, you know, there's some like definitions around like what's the difference between polymath versus generalist, all these types of questions. And I was trying to present like, you know, honestly, guys, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Like here are just some ideas resonate with the ideas, but mentally I knew like that's going to come up. And when I published it, like, obviously, you know, it, 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 like, like it had a huge amount of resonance, but of course there were some of those conversations, but I think because I sat and thought about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I said that was going to happen. There it is. Okay. Like, like it, and I think otherwise it probably would have like affected me a little bit or, or yeah. kind of got to me. And so I think it can be helpful for us to just like mentally, like just prepare for like, this is probably going to happen. I'm aware of it. So this isn't like new information to me. Like when someone presents a completely different perspective, they're like, by the way, I think you should think about it this way. And I hadn't thought about that. That's amazing. Um, when it's just like, oh yeah, I already know about that. That's literally just, you're like questioning labels for, for, for like gatekeeping reasons. I don't know, but you know, this is not particularly useful around this. Um, and so I think it feels, it feels almost like a superpower. Like you can, you can just feel yourself becoming more resilient and then you want to like double down and share even more. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely, it's only a fun process. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, well, Salman, thank you very much uh, for taking the time. Um, if people wanted to, you know, kind of reach out and connect, uh, what would be the best place to reach out? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, uh, so I would I would hit me up there at Dare to Rant on Twitter. Uh, you can also go to my website Salman.io. Um, I've got my blog there and my newsletter, um, which I send out weekly. It's called Quick Brown Fox, and I basically explore like all kinds of different ideas around creativity and around things I'm learning. And so I share essays, I share drawings, illustrations, animations. Um, you know, whatever is happening that week. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, chatting with more folks there. Thank you for having me. This was a really fun conversation. Man. No, of course, of course. And, you know, once once this quarantine and everything's finally over, you know, we'll, we'll have to meet up in person as well. For sure. <laughs> for sure. 100%. Well, thank you for taking the time, Solomon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Future of Work Project. Now, as with all of our work, this interview is part of our ongoing research, and I'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on the discussion. To weigh in, visit our website at fowproject.com or reach out on Instagram at thefowproject. We'll be sure to share the feedback on our social channels, and it could be featured in an upcoming episode. And with that said, thank you for listening.